Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here at the church, and we are in the midst of a series called It's Complicated. And of course, relationships are complicated. And our hope and desire throughout this whole series is that we can enhance our relationships using biblical principles. Even for some of us that need uh, to learn to love again, we will in fact be able to do that through the power of God working in us. Today we get to take on uh, one of uh, the great relationship topics. We get to talk about anger. Anger, of course, is everywhere. No matter where you turn, you will find expressions of anger. In any of the media that you consume, radio or TV, movies or anything like that, social media, oh my goodness, the anger capital uh, of the world right now, anger central there, you'll find anger. It's, it's a major plot line in most every story that you participate in, in any way, and you'll find it at the source of so much of the family, relational, workplace drama, anger. Statistically, they tell us, Americans are angrier than ever. So we're getting angrier as the years go by. Who knows why this is, but you know it's true if you just simply try to have a political conversation with someone. We get to the point now where people say, you know, we can't, don't even talk to me about it. All right, so wait, you're telling me, wait, you live in the greatest democracy in the world, and uh, we have to have the free-flowing sharing of ideas for it to work, but we're not allowed to talk politics anymore. Okay, how is this even going to function now? We, we have to be able to talk. Nope, we can't even talk about these things because we just simply get angry. One website said that New York is often listed in the angriest cities in America. And I actually got angry at that, that we were not first. <laughs> like, how could we ever be not first on that list? I just don't even understand it. Uh, the, ar the article went on to say that New York anger is a reflex. It is a genetic trait passed down by generations of New Yorkers and also a virus that spreads quickly to expats from others, more relaxed areas. There is no cure as long as you still live in the city. And you can only treat the symptoms with alcohol and colorful curse words. <laughs> that is New York anger. So what makes you angry? Maybe you're on the ball field and the ref refuses to call a foul on the opposing team. Maybe it's a coworker who's eyeing your territory. They've got, they're setting their sights on, on your accounts. Or maybe it's a friend who forgets a lunch date, again. Maybe you don't like being misunderstood. Or 
perhaps worse, misrepresented. Maybe it's drivers who cut you off. They make you angry. Or maybe it's drivers at all, any other drivers on the road with you that shouldn't be there because you deserve the road. Maybe it's telemarketers or somebody who's disrespecting you, know, you and your, your people. What gets you angry? In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to list three things that make you angry. And listen, don't say, there's a rule here. You cannot turn to them and say, you. You make me angry. That's not appropriate for this application. So now turn and find three other things that make you angry. All right, what are some of the things that make us angry? By the way, I've been waiting all morning for someone to say, you know what makes me angry? It's, it's pastors who make me talk to other people in church. That makes me angry. Now, what makes, what makes, what makes us angry, anyone? What were we sharing? What's that? Bullying, absolutely, yep, bullying. Other religions talking about them makes you angry. That's like the pile of racism, yep. What makes us angry? Yes, yes, when people look at their phone, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Go ahead, what was it? Go ahead. What's that? Yes. Mom? Come on, work with us here. Friends are so important in these years. I do want to see a list of those friends with whole profiles, but we can make that talk later. What else? What makes us angry? Politics. Ugh. Can't even talk about it. See? No, I can't even. That's all my problem. What else makes us angry? What? What? When you lose the game. You have to bring up that painful memory, right? <laughs> what makes us angry? Actually, losing in any way, us, us, any form of losing makes us angry. It gets at a little bit of the heart of what anger actually is. Science fair projects. Science fair projects. <laughs> yes, especially when you know the other parents are doing them. That, that gets you angry. Like, really? That kid did that? Right. Uh-huh. I'm sure. What else makes us angry? Traffic makes us angry. Whoever designed these systems should be hurt. Taxes, especially when we don't know what is actually happening with it all. Yeah. And I still have potholes. Yeah. What else makes us angry? Midtown Tunnel, yeah. It's a lot of traffic over at Post Ave and Westbury, too. A couple cranes over there, so going to be a nightmare. I love in the first service, somebody yelled, teens. And, of course, all the teens were thinking, yeah? <laughs> you want to know what we think? Was it, what? Being ignored. Being ignored. Ugh. Yep, marginalized. Yeah, well, same one. You guys should talk after the service and do not ignore each other. They tell us uh, that 65% of people have experienced what they call office rage, which I didn't know was a thing. But apparently, getting angry at the office and, and throwing things around and starting a ruckus is actually something that now happens in the workplace. 
75% of people complained about coworkers who can't refill the copier. That would irritate me. That actually is a, it is, that's a serious issue. 33% of car accidents are linked to road rage. They tell us that women tend to be triggered by close relationships when they're let down by family or friends when, or when people have unrealistic expectations. And they say that men will often get angry at strangers. So apparently strangers get us upset. Not the people closest to it. I mean, they do too, but strangers get us particularly upset. They even said that, that men get upset at objects, which is really fascinating because you're like, really, you're going to get upset at an inanimate object? And then I remembered that we have a staff person here at the church that when equipment breaks or fails them, they feel personally hurt by it. Right, Chris? Isn't that, what, <laughs> isn't that the way he's like? I can't believe it broke just today. And it's funny, just today something broke. The thing for the stream actually broke. And he was like, <laughs> We're at, we get upset at things that don't do what they're supposed to do. They say one third of people polled indicated that they have a friend or family member who has anger problems. So we all experience, and I guarantee you that one third means that a whole lot of us don't recognize that we're the one out of three that's causing the, the hurt and the frustration. Because from a relational standpoint, few things hurt friendships or deconstruct kids or isolate teens or shipwreck marriages quite like anger. But for starters, we got to recognize that anger itself isn't the problem. And this is a key point that we have to get down. Righteous anger is legit. It's out there. It's true. Because anger isn't good or bad. Anger is actually just an emotion. And it's an emotion we experience when something doesn't happen the way we want it to. That's when we get angry. When something doesn't happen the way you expected it, the way you wanted it, the way you feel like you needed it to. And in this way, anger can actually be a good thing. If you think about it, it makes a person get motivated to take charge and to right a wrong. So this can be a good thing. This is why God can get angry. In Psalms, uh, uh, Psalm 7, 11, it says, God is a righteous judge. A God who displays his wrath every day. How could God get, have wrath every day? Because there's injustice in the world every day. Of course he would be upset. Whenever he sees that injustice, why would he not get angry? You would hope he gets angry at injustice. Just like, of course, Jesus did in Mark 3. The, 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 the people there didn't want him to heal a person on a particular day. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. But he was angry at their hard-heartedness. And it's not even that we get too angry. It's, you know, that, that's not really the category that I want us to create. Because in fact, I wish we were more angry at the right things. There's all sorts of things in this world. You want to fight against sex slavery? Then get angry about it. Then you'll do something. If you want to help end global poverty, then get angry. If you want to stop the polluting of our environment, get angry and get moving toward that end. If you want to fight racism, get angry. 
You see, we have to get ang- the, the anger. That, that, this, is a, this can be a good thing. It can be a catalyzing thing. And yet, when you get into the rest of the scriptures, you start to find out there's all sorts of warnings about anger. So it's there. It can be good, but it can also be very, very bad. So take a look at Proverbs 14, 17. Open up uh, there and keep it open there because we're going to be in Proverbs 14 a little bit later as well. Proverbs 14, 17. And it's important for us to recognize that anger has a very dark, dark side to it that can be unbelievably destructive. Proverbs 14, 17. He tells us that a quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. We can't be quick-tempered. Largely, we're going to be idiots if we are, the scriptures tells us. That's what foolish things, that's what, that's what they mean. Up on the screen, I've got another proverb, Proverbs 22. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. They tell us that we can learn their ways, become like them if we're not careful. We get ensnared into all of the chaos they create. Proverbs 29. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. This and many other warnings exist in the scriptures about anger. By the way, of course, researchers now recognize that, the, that chronic anger is actually damaging to our bodies, which, of course, the scriptures had told us you know, 3,000 years ago. So the Bible's always recognized this and known that. And today, researchers tell us, no, no, it's true. Like, yeah, we knew that. But, like, but it is true. Like, our phys- because it's all of a biochemical response, they have linked chronic anger to, hot, to heart disease, high cholesterol, depression, anxiety, sexual dysfunction, emotional withdrawing, panic attacks. This applies even for people that don't recognize themselves as angry. They might not realize it because they've put anger so far down. It's more of a a secret, unresolved, below-the-surface anger. And it will still have these negative health effects. Maybe you'd say, well, I'm not an angry person. I'm, I'm frustrated. Okay. I'm irritated all the time. You got to be careful. You might be dealing with anger issues. And there are some doctors who believe that anger is physically more dangerous than smoking or obesity as a risk factor for early death. They're putting it right up there with the the, the top killers saying, guys got to be careful. You hold on to this anger and this is a problem for us. So what happens when anger is triggered? Now, this is, this is helpful for us because when anger is triggered, you first feel it as an emotion. And as an emotion, it's neutral. We haven't decided anything about it yet. Is it right or is it wrong? It's just there. It's just letting you know that something isn't right in your world. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything yet. What has to happen now is an appraisal. But if you make a wrong appraisal, so you, you feel the emotion and then you, you think to yourself, well, this is right, I'm justified, or you don't think at all, it will inevitably lead to a bad response. If you're not careful, this is what takes place. You run from an emotion 
and you nearly jump to a bad response almost instantaneously. And what took place in there is it, somewhere in there you had a wrong or inadequate appraisal of the emotion that was welling up in you. And you've seen this. If you're a parent, I know you're, there were some years ago where I don't know what happened. I was, it was in one of those moods, and I went home, and I was just yelling at everyone. So all the kids were in trouble. And you know how that happens. It's like, it's kind of like maybe no one does. I, I shouldn't say you all know. I know what this is like. And so I'm yelling at one, then I'm yelling at the other, and I'm yelling at all three. And then finally I see the dog like hiding in the corner, and you realize you're on a rant. And I'm like, yeah, what is going on here, right? And so later on I cool down, and I go back through the whole thing. And I couldn't find anything that I should have been angry at. I just, I was wrong. The, the response was there. I felt it emotionally, and I thought it's that one of them had triggered it. But later on, when I was honest with myself, it wasn't one of them. I was probably just in a bad mood. I was probably thinking about something, you know, from earlier in the day. And I was just set off that I had a wrong appraisal, and I jumped right into this whole area of bad responses. But you can go the other way. If once you identify the emotion, you can actually do a right appraisal of it. And you can ask yourself, what's going on here? What's the genesis? What's causing this? And that right appraisal is so essential because now you're actually going to be able to formulate a good response. We had a situation where there was like this fight that was going to break out in the parking lot. We were leaving here one Sunday. We went to go eat over at like the Source Mall at one of those restaurants. And uh, the kids were really young at the time. And uh, in the parking lot, there were these two guys arguing toe-to-toe, -to -toe, screaming at each other, pointing fingers over a parking spot. And there was an older lady that was a part of it, and she was trying to pull them away, and I could see her, like, getting elbowed or knocked down or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a big, this is a bad situation. There's all sorts of families all walking around here trying to, like, grabbing their kids and scurrying, running off in the other direction. I'm like, this is not a good scene. Like, somebody needs to help this, like, de-escalate. And so I decided that's what I would do. So I walked over there and I said, I sent my wife and kids on ahead uh, into, toward the restaurant. And I said, hey, guys, listen, you know, obviously, and I said, more like this because they were big. And I was like, hey, listen, you know, this is kind of like, you know, obviously nobody wants to fight. You know, we don't want to have a big brawl here. And now that I'm in it, I'm in it. Like now it's going to be a three-way brawl and we don't really want to have to do that. And, you know, my kids are here. They don't want to see me laying down on the ground bleeding. And I'm sure you guys do. You just, we'll all go in. We're having dinner, having a lunch. Come on. Just. And so it took me a while, but eventually they stopped yelling. And eventually I got them to turn around and kind of start walking in other directions. And, they, and I thought, you know, this was good. You, you see a situation. You jump in at it. You, you start, you, you analyze, you appraise the situation. It comes to it leads to a good response, and you could actually do some great things with that that emotional response. I knew something was wrong; something had to be done. These are this is when it works at its best. But there's a trick here. There's a there's a twist that can happen. When, after you have had an emotion, and you've identified it, and you see you have an anger thing building in you, and you do a right appraisal, and you find out yes, this is justified. I am right to be angry, it's very tempting to assume that whatever comes next is the right response. But that is not usually the case. Very often it leads to the wrong response. See, you could actually identify this and say, this is wrong, you have hurt me, and I am justified in getting angry, and now whatever comes is your fault. Because now we almost have a righteous indignation that we get to unleash on the world. But your appraisal needs to take your response into consideration. This is one of the hardest ones to avoid because you actually feel right in this. 
But of course, we don't want to do this negative, uh, this bad response out of the right appraisal. You can just tell him I can't take that. Oh, just tell him I'm busy. <laughs> I'm preaching. I can't really take it right now. So we need to get angry for the right reason, and we need to express it in the right way, and a failure to do this wrecks relationships. Right reason in the right way, and our failure to do this will wreck our relationships. So let's open up to Proverbs 14 now, 29, and see what it says. Proverbs 14, 29, you should be right there. And it says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So here's the thing about patience. Patience lets anger think. It gives it some time. It gives it the space it needs to breathe. Now, when I talk about patience when it comes to anger, I have to tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? Because we, get, we, get to fall, we fall into a lot of traps. When, when I'm talking about patience, I'm not talking about waiting and waiting and waiting until the boiling point until you finally explode all over someone. I was patient, and now I'm not. That's not patience. That's not what it actually looks like. And it doesn't mean that you put up with anything and everything all the time. That's not patience either. In fact, if you're experiencing any sort of violence, any sort of threat against you physically or emotionally. Patience isn't what you need right now. You need separation. You need to protect yourself or your kids or whatever that circumstance is. You need to take action now. Patience doesn't mean that you bottle it up and just hold it in. You know, when a person denies their anger like this, it, it goes underground. It goes inward. And this is, this is a terrible circumstance. They even, some people will even call depression anger turned inward. You're just angry now internally only and often at yourself. This kind of anger needs to be forced to the surface. So what are we saying when we talk about patience? Think, think this, you know, think, imagine for a moment that you have a trigger, right? The trigger is whatever is triggering the anger response in you. Whatever it is, and, and when, we get, when this happens, we say, I got angry because. And that's the first question you have to have. Is that true? Did I get angry because you? Or did I get angry because my expectations weren't met? Am I supposed to be angry? Is my anger that's welling up inside me even right? You see, you start to ask questions even at the trigger point. Because immediately after the trigger, we're going to run to our response. And this is what normally takes place. Triggered, response. And this happens in the blink of an eye. And what, when the Bible talks about patience, I think what, they're, what, what he's asking us to do is to create some room. Now, if you read this, it says, whoever is patient has great understanding. Whoever is patient has great understanding. But, but the one who's, who's got a, he says, quick-tempered is a fool or displays folly. I don't think that you're, you need to gain understanding in order to be patient. I think the patience is what breeds the understanding. What I mean by that is go after the space. Create the space 
because you need to create the space for understanding to grow. And so what happens between the trigger and the response is you're going to create as much space as you can. This is patience. And the more you have of it, the more understanding you can bring into your conflicts. The more understanding you could bring into, the, into every circumstance where anger is starting to well up inside you. You get to start asking questions about your trigger. You get to say, am I really supposed to be angry? Should I have been angered by this? Is there something that, why they're angry at me? They're angry at me. Why are they angry at me? Do they have a right to be angry at me? Did I do something that was, that was deserving of their anger? We start to ask questions to gain understanding. Why might they have acted this way? Maybe you get a little bit of understanding about their circumstance and what they've been going, going through. And that gives you a little bit more space. Why, what are my expectations? Maybe I'm the one. Maybe I actually had unrealistic expectations in this situation. And if that's the case, this emotional response in me isn't going to help us or do any good. I need to create the space that understanding needs so that we can actually be processing and thinking through what our response is going to be. Create as much space as we can. I think that's patience. And giving an appraisal in these moments, an appraisal of the trigger, an appraisal of the response will be key. Because you'll be giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. You'll be keeping the lines of communication open. And the ability to control one's emotions and express them at the right time and in the appropriate way, to the appropriate degree, it's a key part of wisdom. So of course you might ask, how do you now grow in patience? And this is so important. How do you, how do you get the space that you need? And I gotta tell you, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're just coming out, you're just checking things out, you're just wondering about the church, great. If you just do this, it will work. Meaning just, it, it works because it's wise. Just create distance between your trigger and your response. And even if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, it will help you in all of your relationships. You could apply it right now, today, in the parking lot, on your way out, trying to pick a place to go to lunch. And it will help you create patience, space between the trigger and the response. It'll work. But for Christians, I have even better news. Because the scriptures teach us that patience comes from walking with Jesus. It's not just that it's smart and that it's wise. It is. But it comes from walking with Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ, then we have been given what we need to let our patience grow and our understanding thrive. Think of it this way. Jesus is patient with you. He's patient with me. He doesn't give me what I deserve. He doesn't lash out at me like he ought to. Like I deserve. He's patient with me. God is not willing that any should perish. He's patient with all of us. And we have been shown unbelievable mercy and patience and grace at the cross where his love and his forgiveness have been given to us in the most undeserved way. And the scriptures ask us, can't you do the same for others? 
You've experienced that kind of patience, that kind of, can't you do it for others? See, as followers of Christ, we have an example that we have already been the beneficiaries of this kind of incredible patience. He turned his anger into something constructive, and we can as well. Now, you might say, yeah, but I can't change because, you know, I'm Italian, <laughs> right? Or I can't change because, you know, I'm, I'm Spanish, you know, I'm Colombian, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. You don't understand. It's in our blood, you know, the Italians, they think it's in the marinara, like, it's just how it is. How many times I've heard how many different ethnicities say, well, the reason we do this is because I'm, and they put whatever ethnicity is that they want to. You know, my goodness, think of what we're saying as followers of Christ. Here's the best news in the world. Christian, you can change. That's the promise of the scriptures. We can't go back and say, oh, well, because I'm Italian, because I'm Spanish, which I'm both. I can't. I'm an Irish, so I should hit you in the head. Like, no, this is not actually what... Like, that's not how it works. Jesus says, I can come in and I can give you a new heart. You have the power of the Spirit. The resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. Yes, you can change. We're a new creation. Christian, we don't have this excuse to say, oh, I simply can't do it. We can. And at the cross we get to see the most powerful example. You see, at the cross itself, Jesus absorbed the wrath and the anger that God rightly and justly had toward us. And that anger was poured out on Jesus so that it would not be poured out on us. We have been given the patience of God. His anger, his wrath has been exhausted at the cross. For us. And Jesus, he absorbs this wrath. He absorbs this anger. And he doesn't, he doesn't bounce it back into the world. It dies in him on the cross. Just think about that. The most perfect, the most innocent man, free of sin, that the world has ever known. He was wrongly accused. He was betrayed by his friend, spit upon by the crowd, ultimately killed. If anyone had the right to be angry and to lash out, it was Jesus. And yet instead, he offers us peace. Peace with God, peace with each other, peace with our Savior, he is the ultimate peacemaker, and he is calling each and every one of us. Blessed are the peacemakers. We can do this. We can actually bring the patience of Christ into our world, into our relationships. We can even absorb and not throw back into the world the anger. It can die in us as it dies in Christ. We can do that. We can do it in all of our relationships. We can do it each and every day, and we have the power of the Spirit to make it real. I'm going to ask the band. They're going to come up, and they're going to play a song for us here and uh, lead us into uh, the Lord's table. And as they do, I just want to say a word of prayer for us. Lord, I'm just asking that 
through your word here, and through the songs we sing, and through the, the coming to the Lord's table, and the prayers, Father, we're just asking that you would do this transformative work in our hearts. We want to be more and more like Jesus, and you've promised us that you will transform us into the image of Christ, and that's what we want, Lord. We don't want to hold on to our old, damaged, broken, and hurtful ways. We want to become new creations. We want to build our lives upon the foundation that is Christ. We want to depend on you and turn to you and all of these things. Father, give us the presence of your spirit so we might create patience that breeds understanding so that we might represent you well.